Hello, and welcome to another edition of Buck for Food. I'm your host, Tim Buckingham. Uh, here we are at KZMU. Actually, not at KZMU. We are still doing Zoom. Today, we have no guest per se. I'm here with Molly, my uh, assistant, who I want to thank ever since we've gone to Zoom for the past, I don't know how long it's been now, but uh, uh, yeah. Molly is responsible for setting that up. Almost a year we've been doing this by Zoom. Isn't that crazy? So yeah, yeah, so we are in the pandemic for one year now. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been quite the year, of course, for everyone. We've hit 500,000 American deaths from the pandemic. And really, I don't think that includes more deaths that were indirectly from the pandemic. You know, the virus caused 500,000 deaths, but I think there's also, you've got to consider deaths from uh, suicide, alcoholism, drug overdoses, which are years down the road. We're going to look back and study and, and just see what the devastating effects were actually from this pandemic. When it started out, it was interesting, you know, they were saying, how bad it was going to be or how bad it may be, you know, they're like saying, oh, there could be 100,000 deaths and then it was 200,000 deaths and to hit 500,000, that's just like, whoa, you know. Right. You know, the U.S. flags were at half mast uh, last week for five days to commemorate the 500,000 who've died. And I thought that was really powerful. There's something about seeing, you know, flags at half mast for that amount of time that, you know, Let's that number sink in a little bit. It does. It does. And I, I think it was, I think that number is like really hit people, you know, mm-hmm. especially since, you know, a lot, there was a lot of people saying that at first it wouldn't be that many, but uh, it's definitely right. uh, as devastating as some people predicted. And we're not out of the woods yet, although it seems that we do have light at the end of the tunnel, you mm-hmm. know, the vaccines coming out more and more. And uh, so hopefully by the end of the year, things will be somewhat back to normal. It's affected everyone. I think everyone, you know, in, in some means, uh, some, some more than others. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have not. Some people were in a situation where they still worked, but, you know, they had to adjust for other needs of getting their groceries and cooking and all that, you know, right. since restaurants were shut down. I know on your show, you've covered, you know, how restaurants have been affected, how chefs have been affected, um, and how people are doing a lot more home cooking um, than they ever have before for much longer. <laughs> I know I'm in that situation where I'm, I'm home cooking, you know, all the time. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good thing in a way, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's strange. I, I look as a chef, Back back when out of the restaurant mostly, you know, I'd be there and I snacked and ate as I worked. But uh, you know, working around food, I, I didn't have much of a when I work around food, I don't have much of an appetite. And I bet. So I would work at the restaurant and then I'd come home and, and then, you know, I'd be hungry, but you know, I didn't feel like making a large meal. I, so I just like, you know, do Snacky stuff, quesadilla, nachos, whatever. But 
You know, my cousin is married to a chef and he also, when he comes home, you know, from his restaurant job, he makes quesadillas or scrambled eggs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> after making like this really fancy stuff, that's his uh, meal of choice at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, that's how most chefs eat, you know, they, mm-hmm. you know, they eat all this gourmet food during work, but you know, where they come home and they eat very simply mm-hmm. and, uh. So after the restaurant closed down, I uh, things changed for me. You know, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I have to fix meals. I have to learn how to fix meals at home for, and that's a challenge also. Is you know, I'm I'm used to mass quantities, fixing meals for mass quantities of food and that, and and to fix meals for just two people is very difficult. I found, and so I had to kind of learn all over how to how to do that and it it was interesting and i i have evolved and learned a lot um first of all i'd like to talk about like closing a restaurant is much more difficult than opening a restaurant i found out really why everyone says that you should never open a restaurant it's the hardest thing in the world and you're saying well, closing is hard. that's what I always thought. I always yeah. thought opening a restaurant was the hardest thing you could ever do. And I've opened several over the years. And, but this was the first time I closed a restaurant. And so it was much more difficult. When you open a restaurant, you, there's a lot of planning involved and, and all that and purchasing and everything. And you set up, you know, you set up your menu, first of all, and you, purchase for that but when you close a restaurant it's difficult in ways well first of all laying off staff is one of the hardest things you can do Mm -hmm. Uh, but then you have to also deal with all your inventory and food left over so that involved a lot what i did mostly I, i donated a lot of food to the episcopal church Dave Sackerson, who we talked on the show a couple mm-hmm. of shows ago. So that took care of all, most of the perishable goods and the frozen goods and all that. And then you still have like, oh, I had like lots of things that I couldn't just throw out or anything like dried chilies and canned goods and stuff. So I, I kind of learned to utilize that. What I, what I did with the chilies, uh, I had, I had, all the ingredients on hand to make mole, which I don't know if you're familiar with mole. Mole is uh, one of those, uh, it's a Mexican dish. It's not a dish, but it's actually a sauce. I actually got to have some mole in Mexico. This is pre-coronavirus. It's very good. Yeah. I would say, I would say kind of an acquired taste. It is an acquired taste. It, it, it's, uh, and, and there's, there's several different different moles. Uh, right, right. You know, there's uh, so it's hard to you know dictate right. which which is the best or which. Well, what do you like to make? Which one do you? Well, the, the one I make is involves. There's several ingredients that go into it. There's like uh, offhand, I would say there's there's close to thirty ingredients, and which includes, I think, something like eight different chilies. Uh, which are dried, and you have to. It's really involved to make this. It's one of the hardest 
uh, sauces you can make. Because it's involved, you have to like process the chilies, you know, you have to seed them and roast them and then cook them. And then, and then uh, there's also other ingredients that are involved. There's different varieties of nuts and uh, like some recipes have, I think uh, my recipe had raisins and dried fruit. And uh, one of the ingredients that usually will, if it's a dark mole, it usually uh, has chocolate in it, mm-hmm. which mine do, and also uh, corn tortillas. So that's the thing about mole. It, it's, it's impossible to make a small batch of mole. And if you're making it at home, you know, what do you do when you make well, such a pot? That's, that's the other, that was the other challenge. So here I am. I was used to uh, making it at the restaurant. Uh, mm-hmm. big pots and my big immersion blender and all that. My, so I had to do this with my home equipment. I have this little mm-hmm. tiny blender and, and all that. So uh, it was quite the process and it was quite the mess, I must say, because I had to uh, blend it in this little blender, do a little batch. It took, it takes about three days to make mole. Wow. Do you and have then, any advice for people who might want to get into it, but you know, only have home tools? Well, it can be done. I mean, just try, try to do it. On, you can do it on a smaller scale for sure than, mm-hmm. than, than my recipe, but I have the ingredients. So I wanted to use them up. And so I decided because I had such a big batch, I decided I would, I would can it and jars and so that was a whole nother process so i went through making the mole and then canning the mole and i i've canned before but it it had been years ago and stuff so that on top of making the mole i canning took another day (laughs) Mm -hmm. and because i had to relearn and it was like oh wow i I wished I would have known to do this and that and that ahead of time, but I got it done. It was this accomplishment. And, but it was like, wow, I'll never do that. Either. So I, I did, I did. Uh, in fact, I did do some more canning today and it went much easier. because of it. I'm You're back into the swing of things. Yeah. And so I knew how to set up better and be more organized. But uh-huh. uh, so I'm, like I say, I'm learning how to cook myself, you know, in a different way, in a different environment. It's, it's been uh, challenging and interesting. Yeah. Are there any, you know, anything that you have landed upon that is less complicated than mole? <laughs> Oh yeah. That still yeah. Is, that's, but still quality um, and still, you know, that you f- get excited about and is good for home well, cooking. That's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today is that, like I, like I said, it's hard to cook. It was hard for me to cook at home for, you know, two people when the thing is in a restaurant, you can utilize your leftovers or whatever very easily, you know, mm-hmm. and, and at the restaurant, you, I have access to more variety of, of ingredients and stuff on hand where I can say, you know, if I'm going to come up with a dish, 
I can go in the walk-in and look, check out the, the spices in the pantry and everything. And, and so right. I have a vast array of ingredients. As a home, I have a smaller amount on hand and uh, less, you know, less opportunity or less, uh, I say, uh, variety to choose from. Sure. So there's more planning involved in making meals ahead, mm-hmm. especially during the pandemic, you know, and where I live, you know, rural, but, you know, running to the store, you know, which during the pandemic, we didn't want to go to the store that often, as least as possible. And so it made me explore ways of keeping product on hand that I can have access to that will, you know, that will keep, Mm -hmm. I can create meals, you know, off the cuff per se. So, you know, some of the things I discovered the way to stock your home pantry, of course, would be of non-perishable things would be, you know, you have pastas, you can Mm -hmm. have rice, uh, dried beans, and canned goods, you know, there's certain certain things I don't like to use can, you know, I, canned vegetables don't appeal to me that much. There are a few that, that work fine. And then you can have frozen products, but then again, you get into uh, space availability. Right. You know, a lot of people food. have small freezers. Like I have a tiny freezer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, and I do have a, I do have a chest freezer. Oh, which, nice. which is good and if you know if it's good to utilize that if you if you do have mm-hmm. one or if you're in a situation where you can't have can't have one mm-hmm. you know because they take up space it costs money but mm-hmm. but again the, the if you do have a chest freezer i found out the key to that is keep it organized <laughs> because if you start using that as your uh, dump spot. Well, I got leftovers. I just throw in the freezer. Then pretty soon that becomes uh, a problem. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. open up the freezer. It's just full of what is it? You know. At least that's the other thing. Is it's best to use up your stuff as you go if, when possible. Utilizing leftovers. You know, say you decide to roast up whole chicken for dinner. You know, which you for two people, you depending on the size of the bird. You know, you may or may not eat it all. Probably not. I mean, we we certainly don't. And so you have leftover chicken meat that you can. There's a lot you can do with that. You can. Yeah. Uh, what do you like to do with it? There's such a vast thing. You, I like ta- tacos. Are really easy to utilize leftovers. You can make taco filling. Uh, you could put it in a salad, or you could make soup. Which, you know, you take. You could save the save the whole carcass mm-hmm. and the meat and make a soup out of it, which is great. Also, because that extends it even more, because you know you get you'll probably have soup and then leftovers of the soup, so you have leftovers of leftovers. <laughs> so you know, Tim, I want to ask you about that because that is something that I'm not great about is remembering that I can make soup stock from the chicken or leftover vegetables. So can you can you give me right. some advice about soup stock? Yeah, 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 yeah. Soup stock's great. It's it's great to have on hand. And usually people have, you know, they have like you have a chicken carcass uh, right. or you buy a whole chicken and say you don't cook the chicken whole, that you breast it out, the mm-hmm. pieces or whatever. And then you have 
the raw carcass, which is better for stock than cooked previously cooked carcass, sure. because you won't get get as much flavor out of it. Okay. But what what you do so if you don't want to so say you just have a few bones, mm -hmm. not to make much stock, uh, just put it in a bag and you can put it in your freezer until you do have enough. Okay. Or when you do, or if you do go ahead and make stock, you know, uh, chicken stock's very easy to make. You know, you have your bones, you have what you call mirepoix, which is your mirepoix is uh, carrots, onions, and celery. Mm. That's, and that's used for almost all stocks as a, as a base for the flavoring of the stock. And you can add uh, herbs to it. Also, if you want a little bit of thyme, bay leaf, salt, pepper. So uh, chicken stock, you simmer low. You, you, the key to stock is you really don't want to boil it. You know, at a mm -hmm. high boil, it'll be stock cloudy. Do you ever bring it up to a boil or do you just simmer you it? Bring it, up, bring it up to a simmer, a slow boil, and okay. then turn it to a low, but not mm -hmm. too low. Want it to simmer just a little bit, you know. Okay. And then uh, chicken stock doesn't take long. I'd say an hour mm -hmm. uh, to extract the flavors of the chicken. And then you, of course, you'd strain it off. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you strain it off and then you're going to, you know, there'll be fat from from the chicken in there usually. And uh, so you you just let it settle. And, and a good way to separate the, the fat on the stock is to put it in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. That will come to the top and solidify. Oh yeah. Scrape it off. Right. And With you like can actually use that fat for cooking also. It's good mm -hmm. to chicken fat especially is really good to cook potatoes in or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, it's the same thing with beef stock, beef stock, you generally roast the bones, but it's the same process and you usually cook it a little longer. Okay. So yeah. And stock is good. And like you mentioned also, you can make uh, vegetable stock, which, um, a lot of people have vegetable scraps on hand or when mm -hmm. they, oh, you you're, you're peeling vegetables and, and that you can, you pretty much put most vegetables in the stock, but I would get away from like leafy vegetables or something that, cause they go bad easily. So it doesn't just have to be carrots, onions. No, no, no. Uh, you can put, uh, mushrooms are very good in it. Mm. Uh, if you have tomato scraps, they're good. Um, yeah. any, any root vegetable, mm -hmm. uh, just a, avoid strong like cabbage or something like that that, that can be real strong mm -hmm. you know you don't it's, it's really not good for the flavor because it'll just taste like cabbage then uh, mm -hmm. but yeah there's there's a variety of and you might want to avoid any bitter uh greens or anything you know um because it'll make your stock just think about what you're putting in you know the right and then you're fine you know right and stock is something you can also freeze once you make it yeah oh yes mm -hmm. absolutely so utilizing leftovers you know like i say there's there's just a lot of things you can do um like i said the chicken leftovers you can make tacos you can make 
pasta. Pasta is one of those really quick things you can make. Cook your pasta. You know, people think, a lot of people think, you know, pasta is traditional, red sauce. It's more than that. You know, just pasta, olive oil. um, You know, you have sun-dried tomatoes on hand, which keep. Mm -hmm. You throw some both in, some olives, capers, and if you have any herbs, I mean, Mm. you got capers. I love capers. And that's something that I don't think of getting either, but I, I always love it when I have it. And usually in a yeah. restaurant. Capers are great. They're, they're, they're really flavorful, mm-hmm. unique, and you know, they keep, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't take very many capers to flavor a pasta mm-hmm. or you can eat uh, dressings or whatever. And it, they adds a nice, um, tartness i guess Mm -hmm. pickles or briny you know right what's your favorite pasta just dried pasta the brand or or just uh the brand and the needle there's so much out there i was just looking at pasta the other day and i like to go for the organic whenever i can it's not only for for my personal health like you know people less pesticides needs better health but that's not really the only reason to buy organic when you buy organic, you're, you're patronizing the small farmer, you know, not the industrial farmer. And you're also patronizing the farm workers that don't have to work with pesticides. When I can, I, I like to do that. It's not, you know, essential, you know, I don't, like say, don't eat not organic, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a per, personal preference to me. And I just find that the quality is better. What about the noodle? I like spaghetti, mm-hmm. usually. It, it depends on the dish, too. You know, if, if you're sure. getting a... if So, technically, or I don't know if it's te- technically, like, if you have a creamy sauce, let's yeah. say, and if you want a, a larger noodle or a shaped noodle that mm-hmm. hold, holds the sauce. That's what the, it's all about. The curvature of the noodle, and that will, will actually hold the sauce in the pasta. Let's mm. take, you know, macaroni and cheese, our classic macaroni and cheese. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, too, it's a tube pasta, short, early, and but the, there's actually, the sauce actually goes inside, and so it doesn't just slip off. It's sure. to do spaghetti with right. cheese. You know, your sauce is not going to mm-hmm. adhere to the noodle as much. So, so a thicker, creamier sauce demands like a different shape noodle, like one that actually has a little bit of shape to it. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a pers- personal uh, preference also. Um, you know, my wife, she loves angel hair pasta. Um, mm. I don't tend to like it because it, I like, I, it's also the texture of the pasta. People prefer, you know, I like my pasta a little more al, al dente, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. To get an al dente pasta, you want, you know, spaghetti is good to do that with because, you know, like I say, angel hair cooks so quick right. and it's, it's hard to control. I learned a trick to cooking pasta way back mm-hmm. from an Italian. People generally cook pasta the wrong way. People will cook the pasta till it's done to their liking and then they'll drain it off, and then they'll rinse it in water. Mm. And that's 
not the way to cook pasta. No, that washes all the flavor away. Mm -hmm. The way you cook pasta is you cook it till it's maybe 75% done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still just say if it's spaghetti, it's just barely bending in that. It's right. Not, I mean, and you're going to think, well, this isn't even nowhere close to that. Mm -hmm. But what you do is you take it off off the heat, drain it right then. Don't don't rinse it. Mm -hmm. Let it stay hot, and then you toss it with oil, preferred mm -hmm. oil, a little bit. You toss it with olive oil, and then the, the pasta keeps cooking. Right. Olive oil keeps it from sticking together. Right. And also, uh, the oil is actually absorbed into it. So instead of water absorbing into it, it's, it's your olive oil. And it's just uh, such a big difference in the taste of your pasta. Mm. With the pasta flavor, you know, I've been trying to remember to keep a little bit of pasta water. Like if I'm making like a cream sauce or like a butter sauce or something and actually use like a cup of pasta water as part of the, the sauce. Oh yeah, that's, you can do that. That's, that's actual, actually a traditional way. Mm -hmm. um, so if you do that, if you cook your pasta that way, and also what it does is, is if you're putting the, if you're putting a sauce on your pasta, it will also absorb into the pasta and just right. be more cool. Like in the restaurants, that's a traditional way of cooking pasta where you hold it even and you can, um, so it'll, it'll keep better also if you're not going to use it right away. It's right. not over soggy and drenched in water. And so when you do go to use it, all you have to do is reheat it and in boiling water, you just dip it in and out just enough to mm -hmm. give it warm, you know, cook it again, mm -hmm. and just, you know, in and out and, uh, and then prepare it the way you want. What about pasta leftovers? My partner doesn't like to eat pasta the second day, which I think is crazy. He says it has something to do with like the texture of the pasta. And I'm wondering, is there a trick to well, like get it back to the, you know, freshness of the first day? Well, if, if you, if you cook the pasta in the first place, like the method I just told you, it would be completely different. It wouldn't keep absorbing the water and become as soggy. It's almost like that the pasta gets answer. a little dry for us. Like, oh, okay. So, it's like the opposite. Like, I, I want to add something to it, but I don't know what. So, are you talking about you keep the, the pasta separate from the sauce? Uh, like, yeah, like as leftovers. Left mm -hmm. If you do that, well, then you just, if that's the case, then when you go to reheat the pasta, you would do it the same method I just mentioned. Just like dip the water in and out. Cool. I'm gonna try it. And then I, I discovered, you know, you know, if you don't want to eat the flour, the pasta, you know, you can make use spaghetti squash um, mm -hmm. as your pasta. You know, you can use sauces and, and stuff over like I I like to eat polenta. I like polenta. Mm -hmm. So you can it's basically the same sauces you would on pasta and just put over polenta instead of pasta. Hey, how do you how do you like to prepare polenta? I've never really mastered it. It depends on the polenta you have because okay. it comes in different uh, textures and grains. I use uh, 
a, a more grainy polenta. Okay. I get a, the co-op. And so when you cook, a good rule of thumb is like, if you were going to do uh, a cup of polenta, it'd be three cups of liquid. Okay. You know, you use water, you can use stock. And it depends on how creamy you like the polenta also, because you can okay. go, you can go a little more. You can go mm-hmm. uh, four to one and come out with a, a creamier, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. I like a good creamy uh, polenta. Yeah. It just kind of oozes out. And then, so you cook your polenta in, uh, you, if you cook in stock or water or milk, you can use milk. And, uh, and at the end, I like to add, I, li- I use butter. I love butter. Mm-hmm. The corn and butter are just great. So mm-hmm. you whip um, some whole butter at the very end when you, and then salt and pepper to taste. Mm, okay. The butter, the butter just adds the creaminess. Right. Uh, to the polenta. Okay. And, and then polenta is, is, is one of those things that fresh polenta is great. Um, you know, leftover polenta is fine, but it's just, you're never going to get it as good as the fresh, you know. You just have to get through it. <laughs> right. What you, you can do is just heat it slowly and add maybe a little more butter or milk or okay. uh, get back to the same mm-hmm. consistency. You know, okay. just throw it in the microwave. It's not going to be the same leftover. Right. And it and and like you said, you know, it depends on like what you're starting with too, like what type of polenta you're starting with. You know? Right, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I nowadays there's I, I see in the store there's polenta and tubes that's already cooked and stuff. Yeah, that's the stuff I you know, because I'm not I'm by no means, you know, I'm I'm just trying different things and I have never been able to make a good dish with those tubes I know people who have but I haven't been able to I've never actually tried them that's the other thing I want to talk about is is I've noticed that you know going to the store now and shopping for Uh myself there's a lot more products out there easy pre-made products you know I I like Uh to keep away processed foods per se if you know like canned soup and all that but i've noticed that there are some uh, a lot nicer better quality stuff out there now um mm-hmm. there's some really good rices and pouches that are already cooked and stuff you just microwave um mm-hmm. uh lentils all kinds of things it's 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 really changing uh what you can get and um, and like I, I mentioned, organic, you, there's so much more variety of organic products out there now. Um, not only fresh, but, but canned in that. I like the canned chickpeas. Mm-hmm. They're really good to throw, throw mm-hmm. into salads or pastas or soups and right. that. And so right. dried chickpeas are hard to cook. And as far as, uh, like, I think as far as frozen vegetables, peas are probably, I love, Mm -hmm. frozen peas, I think they're great. Yeah, frozen peas seems to, like, maintain, like, a good flavor. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you you can do things with peas, you know, you can throw them in lots of things, and also, you know, again, 
salad soups, whatever, tosses, mm -hmm. or just puree them up and it makes gray peas with some a uh, little bit of olive oil, mm -hmm. salt, pepper. They're great, you know. Yeah. And you can use that to just, you can, you can even add a little mint to it or basil and almost make a pesto out of them. Oh, interesting. It's, yeah. And it's really good. You make it's a pre-pesto, you might say, and you can put that in soups or pasta or whatever. So anything else from like the frozen aisle that you um do you like and use you know there's a lot of stuff out there now that mm -hmm. i haven't tried that i don't know i you know mm -hmm. i mean always you know they have a lot better quality pizzas now frozen pizzas than True. back in the day i mean they have a whole pile uh -huh. nothing but frozen pizzas now oh i'm familiar <laughs> that said pizza is really one of those things that it's so easy to make and mm -hmm. I, I know the only thing you have to think ahead is like the best way the, the best uh pizza dough you know you got to make make your your dough ahead like 12 hours ahead okay so, so it's to, like a day in advance but what you can do is is have your pizza you can make pizza crusts and half cook them and freeze them if you have space and just you know you want people to just pull them out and you're that's done. a good so idea i found a, uh one of the best pizza crust recipes is actually you go you go online and, and find it it's uh king arthur flour pizza crust so, okay yeah uh, very simple uh just flour just a little bit of uh yeast and salt and water and then um i don't even think it has to go 12 hours to raise but uh and then and then uh yeah it's, it's really good and i found again the, the king arthur organic white flour is like really good that's 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 a that's a thing that does make a difference yeah flour uh -huh. if you use white flour which you know i prefer white flour for pizza crusts mm -hmm. and but if you're going to do that, the organic white flour, there's there's definitely a, a big difference. And then your generic white flour or your or King Arthur organic flour, there, there's a big, big difference in taste. It, it's extremely different. And so I, I would recommend, you know, mm -hmm. spending a little extra money um, for a good quality flour because you know that that's your pizza you know the crust it's the base up. right i know <laughs> yeah. um now what about you know your fate like if you could if you made the perfect pizza for yourself what would you what would it have on it mm. Mm. pizza is one of those things though that, again you can utilize what you have on hand true but that said when when uh when i had the restaurant uh, i made um I made duck bacon at the restaurant and mm. I had duck bacon and I'd make these pizzas that had the, uh, I do caramelized onions, duck bacon, mushrooms, and blue cheese. That sounds good. It's called it the blue duck pizza. What about at home though? I don't think you're making duck, pe duck bacon right now. <laughs> I have, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> 
there's a lot of easy things you can do at home to um, make in one hand. Uh, you know, bread, bread is very easy to make, you know, make your own bread. I did dabble into the sourdough thing and sourdough is to me is very frustrating that you have to be very committed and very, uh-huh. yeah, very committed, long-term committed to uh, produce good sourdough and keep it going. Did you learn any lessons from your sourdough experience? Well, besides not being very good at it, I mean, I, it, it started out good. I never could get the, the consistency of, of a good rise from just sourdough is mm-hmm. what I like and bread. You know, I like my bread. Right. Uh, more of a uh, Italian style bread, you know, mm-hmm. airy, crispy. Yeah. Crispy uh, crust. Mm-hmm. Nice and airy inside. But right. I've I never been able to choose, uh, achieve that with, with sourdough, you know. Okay. Good taste, but it, it, it always came out really dense. What has worked for you in the bread world? I just keep to my basic Italian style bread. I, I make a, a sponge the night before, which is uh, you, uh, let me see if I can remember the recipe offhand. Okay, so it's three and a quarter cups of flour, mm-hmm. white flour, like two teaspoons of yeast, okay. one and a half teaspoons of yeast. Okay. Go to. Okay. Uh, two teaspoons of salt. You mix that up, and then you mix in a cup and a half of really warm water. Mm-hmm. But not boiling. In. Not boiling, no. Mm-hmm. But warm. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to have. I think where I'm at because it's colder and higher altitude. Mm-hmm. I think. It's sure. Maybe, a little more warmer water than you to activate it. So anyway, and then you just mix that in a, a metal or a glass bowl, cover it, let it sit overnight. Then the next day, and here's the secret I found is is I started using a Dutch oven to cook it in. Because hmm. uh, I used to just cook it on a stone in the oven, put some water in the bottom. Okay. And, uh, but I found using a Dutch oven, it comes out a lot more consistent. Sure. And so I I have a, a large Dutch oven with a lid and I, I put a little rack in the bottom of the Dutch oven. So I put that in the oven mm-hmm. for preheat at 470. Wow. Um, and while I, so the sponge that you do is, the, the easy thing about this, you don't need the sponge. You just, the next day, I lay out a piece of parchment paper. I take the, the dough out of the bowl and I just form it into a ball. That's mm-hmm. it. You don't want to overwork it or anything. You just like fold it into a round ball and that's it. While that's happening, I, I got my pot heating up in the oven. And then about, so in 30 minutes, I let it rest 30 minutes. When the sponge is laying there, mm-hmm. resting, I... I invert the bowl over the sponge. While it's oh. And that kind of uh, keeps the warmth in from the activation of the yeast. And so after that, I sprinkle a little flour on it. You got to be really careful with, 
using the hot, the Dutch oven's really hot and right. I pour in a cup of water into the Dutch oven. Okay. Okay. So then I take, then I take the, the bread, go on the parchment and drop it to, onto the rack that's above the water, mm -hmm. cover it right away mm -hmm. and back in the oven. I want to maintain that steam, that the water creates steam mm -hmm. and then goes back in the oven for 30 minutes with the lid on. Mm. 30 minutes, pull the lid and I leave it in for another 15 minutes to brown the top. Mm -hmm. And that's it. it. It makes beautiful, like the, the, the crunchy brown top. When you pull it apart, you can hear the, the you know, crack of yeah. the, right. the, the outside. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my go-to bread. Mm. And uh, it's, I, yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> Any, any other, you know, la any other dishes to, to mention that, you know, you feel are, are your go-tos right now that are easily replicated? Um, well, I, you know, like I say, I've been changing my diet, you know, and use more vegetables in my diet and that, which that's been a learning curve for me because I'm used to, you know, I did a lot of Mexican cooking, mm -hmm. but I found you know, you can substitute a lot of stuff for, for the meat. I mean, as far as, you know, you can do, you can do veggie tacos. You can do, I made enchiladas with uh, cauliflower. How'd that turn and out? They came out? They came out really good. I was surprised because, you know, cauliflower is a great, uh, it, it's like the chicken of the vegetables. <laughs> like you can add anything to it. You can add, it's so versatile. Yeah. You can like, you can uh -huh. fry it. You right. can make. You huh. can boil it. Uh, you can puree it, cream it. You can rice it. You can you can right. um, grate it and mm -hmm. use it to the rice. Uh, it it's just so versatile, and, and I like it. It's just like it's it's a mild flavor, so is where it'll take on. Um, take on spices or whatever you do to it. Um, sure. And like I said, I made enchiladas, I creamed it, I added uh, some uh, Mexican spice uh, and that, and yeah, I, it, it came out really nice. So I've been messing with, with that. I found Mexican cooking is really good in the sense that it, you can change it up because for vegetarian, if, for right. instance, you can, um, Mexican food is, is all about mostly the sauces, you know, mm -hmm. which are already vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, beans and rice basically for sides mostly, but you can, so ta tacos, you can substitute a lot of different things for the filling and meat, but also use the same, uh, you know, I saute onions and jalapenos and maybe sweet peppers and some uh, spice, mm -hmm. chili powder, whatever. And then, like I say, you, you can add 
uh, a variety of, you can go from there at any, any year leftovers from vegetables to um, squash to uh, leftover mm -hmm. meats or whatever. And taco, who doesn't like good taco? With tacos, Tim, you're saying, you know, it's really about the sauces. Do you have like a sauce that you make that goes with your tacos? Uh, I, in fact, I, I just, like I said, I can today. I can't, a, I have, so that was the other thing. I have these big leftover, big cans of uh, tomatillos. Mm, sure. And uh, green chilies, big cans. And mm -hmm. so I, today I, I took them and I, also I did was um, I chopped up some onion. I had some cilantro, fresh cilantro, the tom tomatillos and the green chilies and then uh, spice, spice mix and pureed them through the RoboCoup and it made a really good salsa. Mm. And so that, that, it was a large volume, of course, because I had my industrial size containers of it. And so, but it came out really good. And um, that's, that's the other thing I, I can today. I just threw that in with my leftover mole and it. Mm. Uh, but I was surprised how, how good it came out. You would be a good friend to have because, you know, you, you're probably giving away cans. <laughs> Delicious. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's like, oh, God, how do I use this stuff up? So, right, exactly. Any, any other point that you wanted to touch on before we have to go? Well, I just think that cooking for yourself at home like we've, we're all going through is, um, you know, just, just think outside the box. Try to be innovative, but the key to that, like I said, is having a variety of things on hand. Mm -hmm. um, and like I say, we're, we're, we can't get the fresh ingredients as much as we, we were, you know, look, look into uh, the good quality stuff that's, you know, shelf, shelf life friendly. You know, just try to be creative, see what you can come up with, have fun with it.